hopefully the our Wi-Fi will cooperate with us. All right. We got Jared. We got Tyler. We got Dot Danny Mate on. Again, round two. Yeah, excited. Oh, yeah, man. So last time we checked in with our heroes, we were pretty much in the middle of PT school. Um, Doc Danny was, was still a legend, crushing over there. Now he's even more of a legend, and now we have pretty much finished our PT school education, and graduation is like in two weeks. So with all that being said, Tyler, mm. what's, what's on your brain right now as you're about to step your toe into this real world of physio? Uh, an interesting phenomenon has happened to me and maybe doc Danny can light a spark. Cause I feel like if it's happened to me, it's happened to plenty of people where, um, the closer I got, the more I like lo- have lost my flame to, to go do great things. You know, like as I've gotten closer, I got out into the, the clinic and things like that. And I was just like, man, I'm just, I'm just ready to have any job. I'll just take anything and I'm just ready to start making money. And, you know, I don't want to try to break the system as much anymore. I'm just, it's almost like I've like forfeited everything and I'm just ready to just go do um, basically what everybody else does and go get some paid time off, go get some 401k. Get some, get some benefits. Get, get some, some benefits. Is that normal? Are you asking me if that's normal? <laughs> I, I think I'm, 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 there, there is, I'm, I guess I'm asking if that's normal. I'm, I'm really kind of curious to see what kind of response you have in general. Like, yeah, it's cool. Or be like, no, no, dude. I mean, look, you've been in school for seven years, right? Like, let's be honest. It's a long time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, with that. In fact, like most of the people I talk to that are interested in doing something on their own, you know, it's, it's something that, some of them go straight out of school. I don't think it's, I don't think you have to do that. I think it's, I think it's possible now much more so than it, than it used to be. But uh, there's something to be said for just trying to figure out how to do your job because you know, like if it was me and I had just graduated uh, I, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable from a skill set standpoint going and doing a practice, you know, on, on my own. I, I wanted to try to get some mentorship, even though that's sort of challenging because you think you're going to get mentorship, but really, you get mentorship on how to build correctly and then yes. you're not necessarily getting, you know, the, what you're looking for. And the reason why you're not is because the system's not set up for that. I mean, in most cases, the people that are going to mentor you are really busy and they're trying just to like hit the numbers that they're trying to hit. And it's not that they don't want to do that. It's just that they don't really have the time for it. So, so it's, it's, it's tough, but you know, in some cases I know a lot of students that get out and they, you know, maybe they take like a travel PT job for a year. They go work in a clinic for a year and just, just get some reps in and get a better idea of what they actually want to do and actually, you know, make some money because in school, you know, yeah, I mean, you're just accumulating uh, debt, which is a real problem. And uh, for a lot of folks, like they just kind of want to figure it out first. And that might be one to five years out. And then, from there, they decide, all right, cool. Well, I kind of know what I, would, what I want to do. Maybe importantly, what I don't want to do. And then I can start looking at what kind of stuff can I do on the side and start to make this, you know, semi easier transition into the world of entrepreneurship and being a business owner. Because jumping head first into it like I did was probably not the best um, it's probably not the best option for most people. Yeah. Uh, and the side hustle transition, I think is, is really probably the best way to go, especially for younger PTs coming out of school. I think I, yeah, totally agree with that. And you brought up a, a great point about <clears throat> excuse me, mentorship. And as I, I just finished the internship uh, with a pretty big company here in Texas and that, that offers a lot of residency positions. Mm-hmm. And Tyler and I, you know, coming through PT school, you definitely think about residency. You definitely uh, kind of flirt with the idea of, oh, you'll be, you know, your, your rate of improvement as a clinician will be skyrocketed in this. You know, if, if you give them one year at a ridiculously low salary um, and, and just hearing, you know, hearing stuff from, from your podcast and from guys like Ben Fung, it doesn't seem like the ROI of a residency. I don't know if it is what it once was or if it was ever as valuable as it was proclaimed to be. Um, because just what, like you said, you could, you're going into a residency, not really knowing who your uh, instructor or your mentor would be. And more oftentimes than not, they're going to be super busy and you're just, yeah. it's going to be like you're in school again with more busy work and hope. And you'd like to think that you get better as a clinician, but maybe, you know, maybe you don't, maybe, maybe you would have just gotten just as good 
doing more con ed and having a, a more normal salary. Yeah, um, I agree with that. In fact, I, I can give you like an experience share with that with our first PT that we brought on. Um, you know, we, uh, we were really weren't sure what to do, but we didn't, we, we, we hired a new, a new student. And so we thought we're like, man, uh, maybe we need to get her into residency program. And that's, and that's what we did. We actually went through the evidence in motion residency, ortho residency for her, which is, I mean, they're, they're really expensive, right? So we had to adjust her salary because of that. And, um, you know, she had a lot of work to do. She, I, I would say she probably had better clinical reasoning skills because of that. She may have been, I mean, it may have improved her skill set by all of about 5% maybe. Yeah. But where she really got better was in the time that we ended up spending with her. Like she didn't get to touch a patient until she, she came on in August and she didn't see a patient until October. So she spent every day that we were in the office with me uh, for like two months. And that time is super time intensive and, and uh, she's super cool. But by some point I was tired of her, uh, me having to teach her stuff and she was tired of not seeing patients. And then we were like, okay, fine. You get to see patients now. But because mm-hmm. of that, like her, her skill set was so much better in the, in the manner that we wanted her to see people. And the funny thing was we thought we we're like, man, we're spending all this money on a residency. So she's not going to have to go to con ed stuff. But we're like, well, they're leaving a lot of stuff out. So I almost would have rather, you know, given her $15,000 to go to a bunch of con ed stuff and just said, Hey, go do your thing. Like let's, let's help you pick what you want to go to, but what are you interested in? And let's, Let's make sure you're, you know, delving into that and just like go to go get something from all these different kind of experts instead of, you know, this, this structured program, which basically is just a lot of evidence-based work that she had already learned in school the year before. And that was sort of the consensus that we got from that, you know, not to bash on those guys. It's just that she went to a good school and I don't think that we really got a whole lot of it. So we've never put another uh, PT into a residency program after that. Yeah. And especially now it must be so hard because there's things like, you know, Jeff Moore has virtual ice and, and there's so many, there's MedBridge, there's so many other online opportunities that you can get for a lot cheaper that you can basically get all the clinical evidence-based information you want without having to, to go through too many hoops. I mean, shit, you could even go to like one of Danny's, you know, courses where exactly, he, he, yeah. yeah and, and you're like, oh, I can teach someone how to home exercise program with some mobility stuff. Like, that's uh, yeah, M1. That's, shout yeah, out. M, shout out to M1. Like I could, I think that'd be an extremely valuable con ed course. It's is uh, and, and yeah, obviously like I'm biased because I teach I teach it. But the thing is, when I got out of the army and I was I was uh, transitioning into a a, uh, a brigade position where I, I mean it was just sort of me and there's like 3,500 so soldiers and and so you don't you have these long gaps in between when you get to see people. So I wasn't seeing people two times a week or three times a week or whatever. I was seeing somebody like once every three weeks. So I had to get mm-hmm. really um, detailed on what I was going to program for them for home exercises. And this, this is one of the reasons why I, f- I found Kelly's stuff to be so valuable was because in my unique position, it allowed me to uh, educate these guys on how they could start doing things on their own and, and then, and then working on improvements of their movement patterns. But I mean, if you're having a hard time with like compliance and, you know, people, people getting outcomes from home exercise plans, the uh, becoming a supple leopard, that book is a phenomenal resource. And then yeah. all the content, the mobility wad one one course, which is online, it's like 16 hours and you get CEUs for it. And it's just like, they, we used to teach this course in person and now we put it all online. And the one Oh two course is really, if you want to delve into like assessment, movement assessment of people. But I mean, this dramatically changed the way that I, I work with people and all of our providers are, are the same way. And I mean, dude, it's, this stuff should be taught in schools. Honestly, I just think that everybody should know how to have home exercise plans that are, that are really this effective without you needing to be with somebody three times a week. Yeah. And, and huge shout out to MWOD and all the, the work that y'all have put in. And, and another point to that, I can't think of uh, any other person in PT besides like Kelly and Danny that know how to talk to the public in an appropriate way. Like, just like what Danny said, like supple leopard is a best selling book for a reason, the way it's written the words, it's not speak, it's not speaking to the PT world that would just shit on it anyway and be nitpicking and be researched, you know, super in the research uh, vein. Mm-hmm. It's speaking to somebody 
that watches, you know, um, the Daily Show and watches uh, the Today Show with, with with Kathy Lee and Hoda that drink wine at 10 a.m. in the morning, right? It's it's speaking to that to the housewife to the to the your everyday uh, weekend warrior. Well, I think you have to speak to people in terms of um, simplicity, which which in, is really hard. Like, I actually, I brought this up when I was a student. I told uh, our the, like the dean of our program, you know, I, I was like, sir, I've, I've, I feel like we should get tested on how well we can simplify things. Because like, yes. it seems like you're asking us to, to, to really, uh, you know, have these complex uh, ideas and understand these complex ideas and then explain it to you in a complex way. But like, we're never getting tested on how do we explain this to somebody else. And I, I brought this up because after at my first clinical, I realized like the stuff that I'm saying to somebody that, you know, this was, this was a, at a hospital in Augusta, Georgia. And this, these are just like basic trainees basically, or they were just after training, uh, basic training and they were in their job training. So most of these were, you know, uh, 18 to 22 year old, typically males, uh, but not medical. Right. So they were doing like communications or they were doing intelligence or whatever. And I, I was like, Sir, I just don't think that I'm getting like anywhere with these people as I'm trying to explain like how the rotator cuff works. Yes. And you know, I, I, what I found, and first of all, he blew, blew me off. He was like, no, it's dumb. You know, I was like, how, how are we going to test for that? You know, and I go, I don't know, but we should figure it out because I think it makes a big difference. And so, it, you know, it's, it's something that I've found like the more uh, appropriately I can explain something to somebody. And in particular, if I think that maybe they're not following what I'm saying. I typically will ask them like, okay, when you get home tonight and you see your husband or your wife or whatever, tell me how you're going to explain to them what's going on. Like, what, what are we dealing with? Yes. And then for them to be able to explain it to me in the terms that they understand it, you know, is really helpful because I can then from there either adjust what they're thinking is happening or they're either dead on. And that means that I did the right thing and they, they know what's happening. Completely agree. And that's, that would be a hard thing to test for to have, you know, cause it, it's hard enough having your, totally. your clinical practicals where you have to be super, uh, you know, super uh, PT speak, but then just to come around and say, all right, two weeks, we're going to have the dumb it down version where you're going to have to go on a daily talk show and pretend like you're speaking in front of an audience. Another, something to add on to that, Tyler and I were just talking about um, in regards to our last internship experience we're interacting with with a couple of clinicians, and, and we've and we've been treating uh, some patients still in the ortho orthopedic world. There's a, there happens to be there's some weird vibe that we both notice with with some people, um, where it's it's kind of along this vein of of uh, an inferiority complex in in PT world, or like you feel you feel the need to show that you are smarter because you have the doctorate and because, you know, because we've been shat on for so long, because we, we have this inferiority complex with Kairos because the public doesn't know who we are, where Tyler and I have both noticed there's some PTs, like when they get into a room and do the, do the subjective and objective, they tend to, uh, you know, kind of, is it talk down to a patient? Would you say Tyler? It's like, I, it's, it's not even so much about the way they talk to the patient that it's, it's it's more about like just the general vibe of things. Just I don't know. It's it, hard, it's hard for me to put. Yeah, the we were words. talking about it. I think a couple of days ago, and and not not to you know harp you know talk bad about someone too too much, but it's it's a feeling that you get when somebody's like trying too hard to be smart. Try exactly. You're, you're trying too hard. Yeah, it's to fix a simple problem. Exactly. Like when you could have explained uh, something much easier with less words whether it's whether you're talking to a patient or your student that you're training, if something could have been said, uh, you know, simpler, why didn't we have to, why couldn't you just say it in those few five words? Why did you have to kind of go be around the bush and make, I'll make someone feel bad in a way that they didn't use the same lingo. If that makes sense. I'm kind of rambling. Well, it does, and I th- I, the other thing is students, like you come out and you're, you're just like, you know, uh, impressed upon the fact that you need all this um everything has to be evidence-based and you need like all these articles to to back it up and and uh you know there's there's a there's there's a huge place for evidence-based uh medicine i mean i think you have to understand the research but you don't have to spit that out to your your patients because they don't care and not only do they not care but they don't really understand what you're talking about 
and you could be making it up and they wouldn't know either. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like the, the thing is, I, I, I would say what I tend to see, and this is tough uh, coming out of school, unless I tell you who has a better, uh, better time with this. People that go back to school later in life are just way better in clinical settings than students that went straight to school from undergrad at a much earlier stage in their life. And, and, and I've, I've noticed this a lot with different classmates that I had and colleagues that I have. Like Kelly falls into this. He went back to, he went back to PT school after he'd been a river guide for years, you know, and, and paddling. And like, he lived in his truck for a long time. I mean, you got to think of like, this guy has different world experiences than you do. He's carrying his baby, you know, to class sometimes when he's going to PT school. Like there's certain things that that human can relate to that somebody that's, you know, 22, 23 years old coming out of undergrad can't. And that was me. I was, I was straight from undergrad to, to a doctoral program. And uh, one of my, one of my good friends in school, he's probably one of the better PTs that I know his name's Nathan Henry. He's still a, uh, uh, you know, he's still in the army. He's uh, is at West Point doing a, uh, uh, another doctoral program in sports med. And he had like three kids, I think at the time that we were in school and Nate, you know, he was in his early thirties and he just like was so freaking chill when it came to stuff, man. He was, he just, it didn't bother him. But you know what? That's, because he's like caring for other human beings and he'd yeah. already been deployed. He had like all these life experiences that I didn't have. And uh, because of that, he also could relate to people really, really well. And I just felt like he may not have gotten as good of grades as certain people in our class, but when it came to putting that guy in a situation where he was with another person, another human, I mean, he was light years better. And I think you, you just cannot learn that in a book and it takes some time to gain that. And that's just life experience, man. And, and I hope that as you, as you know, you guys get older and I'm not old by any means, I'm 33 years old, but where I was at when I was 23 and my ability to relate to people and look at things from their perspective and, and where I'm at now is dramatically different. And that's just growth. That's just somebody that's trying to progress. Um, and if you're doing the right things, that'll happen. Yeah. Increasing that EQ as well as the IQ. Oh, it's, sure. it, it's, it's true. And some people are naturally better at that. And in, and in many cases, they're the ones that aren't as book smart, right? Like I definitely don't, I didn't get the best grades in school. I mean, I wasn't like failing by any means, but I, I was like middle of the pack, I would say in my class for, for, for grades. But there's people that are way, way smarter than me um, from test taking standpoints. And they, you know, they, they would become great researchers probably more so than great clinicians just because it's very rare to find that combination of somebody who has super high IQ and super high EQ. Cause it doesn't usually, yeah. uh, you know, people don't function like that. I think, especially when you talk about EQ and, and just the, the amount of perspective and world experience that somebody like Nathan has that they do so well with that buy-in portion, especially during the initial eval, which is, has been real interesting for me to see during my internships, like which, which types of personalities flow better and get a buy-in, right? Because just what you said, we can, we can go into an initial evaluation and totally make some shit up that, that people in, in evidence-based, you know, those, those hard people there would just shit on. But the only thing that really matters, especially in that point, is the buy-in. Because right. I've, I've definitely seen, especially in this last uh, rotation, like we come in, we do everything by the book, Everything like how our professors or anybody, any, any uh, hard-nosed CI would love and still the buy-in isn't there. Or maybe you, I've, I've seen this too, you, you come in a little too early with pain science or with some high-level PT nerd shit, for lack of a better word. And because you didn't get that buy-in first, the patient's now confused and you totally, the, the ball is totally shattered now. Well, you also don't have that much time, right? Like, this is, this, uh, is, is a challenge. And one of the reasons why, like the model that we function in being out of network or a cash practice, whatever you want to call it, um, is, is so beneficial for both, uh, the provider and, and the patient is because we get the time each visit to, to develop a relationship and trust with somebody because we can talk to them about other things. You know, I talked to a guy this morning. Um, he was a new patient that I had for, uh, he had pretty like straightforward, you know, patellofemoral pain issue issues. He just, his trainer, somebody that we knew and or we know, and she's like, go see this guy. It's been going on for a couple of weeks. So it's relatively new. And man, if, if that had been a guy in the army, I would have sent, I would have spent 10 minutes with that guy. I wouldn't give him some home exercise program and 
he's on his way. I got 30 more people I got to deal with. Yeah. And, but I talked to that guy for probably a good solid, you know, 20 minutes about nothing that related to why he was there. He had just had a kid. His son was born on Christmas day mm -hmm. of this past year. We're talking about like, you know, trying to not tweak his back, getting his son out of the bathtub because he's kind of chubby, you know, yes. and like 20 minutes we spent talking about this and he works for this juice company and I'm asking about this stuff. And like, you would think that that's insignificant. And I've had, I've had students, I get a lot of students that come to shadow us from all over the country. I've had, you know, we've had students fly in from, you name it, um, East coast, West coast, whatever, to spend a day with us. And it's, it surprises the shit out of me. Every time it happens, that somebody's willing to come, come to Atlanta to spend time with us. And, and in most cases, when we go to lunch and kind of talking about the morning and what they think they're, they're usually say the same thing. They're like, man, you spend a lot of time just talking to people, you know, like, <laughs> you with people a lot. Like, yeah, you know, well, sometimes I'll have patients come in and I, these are people maybe I see on an ongoing basis. Uh, like we do a lot of kind of once a month visits, which is, we call it, we consider it sort of like quarterbacking their health and wellness. Yes. They'll come in, dude, there's literally, there's people that I, they come in to see me and every time I know they're coming and you know, we have an espresso machine in our office and I'll make like two cups of coffee, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll chat like while I'm making coffee or whatever, we'll go drink some coffee and we'll get into what's going on and like, like that sort of a relationship cannot happen in 15 to 30 minutes uh with somebody you just, you just can't develop that trust oh, no and, um i think that's what's missing honestly and, and it's also fun for us because we're we become that that go-to trusted provider like they'll come to talk to us about any any musculoskeletal any health issue yes before they go anywhere else because they know we're going to send them in the right direction Cause you spent the time with them. So now they know, love and trust you. There's, you know, they don't feel pressure there. It becomes more of a friendship, more of right. the rapport is already there. It's you're not some sterilized healthcare clinic where they have to wait an hour to see somebody for five minutes. Exactly. The door. Love it. What you got, my man. So we, we got to get into the tactical mm. stuff. We got to get into that. I, um, I got, I got, I got a couple questions. The first question is when when the mobility wad stuff first car started coming out, um, you'd often hear like the mobility wad people be like, "We're in the middle of a renaissance, right? Where people are like learning about their body and they're changing yeah, it." Yeah. CrossFit was huge. CrossFit was huge, and I don't know if I've kind of, you know, I got I I bought both supple leopard books. You know, I was I don't know if I've kind of faded away and not paid as much attention to it. Do you think we're still in that renaissance? Is it still happening? Has it has it passed? Is it are we on the upswing? What what do you, where do you think society in America is at with that kind of stuff? No, I think I think what Kelly was referencing to honestly is like really like a strain conditioning renaissance. I mean, you know, you have these high level gymnasts that are talking to high level power lifters about you know the hollow position of the spine and them creating spinal neutral while they try to pull sumo deadlift like i mean these conversations weren't things people were really having 20 30 years ago um but people started to have a lot of those conversations as they started to get exposed to each other via crossfit right and like mm -hmm. there's a lot of positive and negative things you can say about the company and the training methodology in general but you know, one thing that it definitely was responsible for was really facilitating a lot of just thought and conversations around training and this idea of mixing different disciplines, uh, you know, t together. So, you know, that that's really what I would say, not to put words in Kelly's mouth, but just based on conversations that we've had. I mean, that's that's what, um, in many cases, with a renaissance, he's sort of talking about. I think that um, it, we, we have a, so much available information that really now you're starting to see people that... Um, our physios, people that are, you know, physicians, medical doctors, uh, chiropractors, personal trainers, smart strength coaches, they're starting to become like more, there's, there's being, becoming more overlap um, of really high level, whoever they are, if they're wanting to get involved in the game of health, wellness, performance, right? Like a, a good buddy of mine here in Atlanta is Brett Bartholomew, who wrote uh, Conscious Coaching. And mm. You know, he is uh, on another level in terms of like intelligence and just drive to uh, and professionalism. And, you know, it's cool to see that because I, he'll blow 
many of my PT friends out of the water in terms of understanding like movement mechanics and anatomy physiology. So is it, is it necessarily, is it a bad thing? Hell no, it's a good thing. And not only that, but like he understands it and he sends somebody to me that we speak the same language and I can send it back to him. And we both have sort of our areas of expertise, but there's a lot of overlap there. And I think that it has to be, um, you know, the direction the profession goes in particular when we start looking at how much benefit we can provide as PTs when we understand, you know, the human performance side of things. And this is already happening. Like there's a, a friend of mine is out at Stanford and he's the first PT that they've ever brought on to actually uh, come on, on the, a football team just for the football team in the weight room. Yeah. So he doesn't do any post rehab. Those there's other guys for that. He's only in the weight room. It's for spot corrections. It's for manual therapy in the weight room and adjustments to like mechanics of people that need to work around a problem. How that's, that is not something that's been there for 10 years. This is new and it's happening and there's going to be more positions like this. Hell yeah. That is awesome. That, that reminds me of uh, Tim. When we interviewed Tim DeFrancesco, he said the same thing. Uh, former coach for the, or strength coach and physio for the Lakers is that mm-hmm. he expects locker rooms to be filled with physios in the near future um and also uh, something else he was saying was that he expects physios to be more specialized in regards to just what you said like there'll be a physio for manual therapy in the weight room there'll be a physio for that's doing only evals you know it'll be kind of more uh broken apart like that within that athletic realm now look at physicians right like you know i mean there's there's no difference really it's like you're just trying to you know, isolate yourself as being really good at, at, um, at one thing. But the, you know, the, the fascinating part is we have a skill set that's very generalizable and can be molded to what, what you want. That might, you may not be interested in that at all. Right. But like, you may hear me talking about having a cup of coffee with, you know, my buddy that's a camera operator here because they film a bunch of movies and, you know, us making sure his hip and lower back are are good to go while he does all these movies and he's carrying the 60 pound camera around and him like basically just trying to be preventative with his help with his health and then for you to be able to fit in that role um is great and not just that but from a from a just a pure entrepreneurial standpoint like think, think about this like this is fucking crazy gary vanderchuk has his own shoe now like, yes <laughs> dude yes yes are you kidding me this guy you used to have to be lebron james to get a shoe right now uh, uh you're telling me an author slash social media presence or a person i don't even not sure what he is he's an entrepreneur but i mean like obviously he's more than that just a guy guy. so so you have an opportunity via education and platforms that are available now like just listen to this podcast man like i can't tell people i talk to that listen to um to to the podcasts that i've had that that's the first thing they bring up you know and they're just like oh man it's like i this this podcast or whatever and of all the stuff that i've done for some reason that seems to be the thing that struck a nerve and i'm assuming you guys get the same thing and it's just it's like radio you know right like you have an opportunity to connect with somebody and do that on an ongoing basis and and we're just in interesting times yeah dude it's the same shit right it's this podcast this intimate audio connection is the same thing as you having a coffee with your bro yeah talking bullshitting it's the same shit man Bullshit's evidence-based, my man. <laughs> Listen, I think that there's something to be said about being like a high-quality bullshitter. Okay? Mm-hmm. You got to be – that's a skill. That's uh, It's just your, <laughs> your ability just to relate to different people. It's like they call it like – you talked a lot about like, you know, okay, when do I present the pain uh, science stuff? Whatever. It's, it's understanding like psychographics of people's personalities. Like certain people, for instance, let's say you have somebody that's like uh, – a marketing guy. Okay. They're more creative. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to care about the details as much. You know, they're, they kind of want to like, you know, have a plan, but really like they want to make sure that they're in the right place and you don't need to bore them with uh, research. Then you get the guy that comes in and he's an engineer, right? He does sewage engineering and uh, water catchment systems. All right. This, this guy is like detail oriented. <laughs> he man. needs the numbers. Dude, he wants to know, okay, yeah, what's this? Like, how long is this going to take? You know, what, what's the plan in, in detail? And the way that you talk to that person versus the way you talk to somebody else is not going to be the same. And the amount of time you spend, um, you, you know, talking to them about things that don't relate to their knee pain or whatever it might be is going to differ as well. And, and understanding who those people are, that comes down to reps and that comes down to identification of body language and people's personality types and understanding when they check in and it, based on their career, just the way that they look walking in the door, man. I mean, it's a lot of it comes down to your ability to guess right. For sure. And that, and bullshitting helps with that. It totally does. 
And so on that note, when are we going to come out with the, uh, the BS certification? Yeah. Can I have yeah. an MWOD, a new MWOD course? I think my wife thinks that's all, I think she thinks that's all that I do, you know? And, <laughs> and, uh, and good because I mean, it's, it is, it's just, it's just important. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of like, I, I don't know. I mean, some, some people ha- it's easier for them naturally to do that, uh, than others, but it's, it's also weird, right? Like this forum, I, mean, I do, I can talk all day, obviously, like I can talk for a long time on a podcast and in front of a group of people if I'm teaching, but man, if you take me and you put me into a room of a bunch of people that I don't know, and I'm not in some sort of a, like position of authority or people are coming to like learn something from me, I want nothing to do with that. Like I will, yeah. I will get out of there as fast as I humanly possibly can. Like, it's just, I hate it. And you would think like, oh, okay, that's an, that's an extroverted personality. Nope. I'm super introverted. I just, in certain circumstances, I had to work really hard to be able to uh, present myself and work with people in a manner like that. And it's, it's not just like people that are just good at sales, right? Like those people just like to hang out with anybody. Like, I don't give a fuck about most people. I have really deep relationships with my family and, and so a few tight friends, but it doesn't mean you can't, you don't have to understand how to communicate with other people. And I think that's something that I'm not sure how much of that is taught in school. I mean, I got very little of that, but yeah. um, that it should be something that is talked about a lot. And if you're not getting that, honestly, I've already brought bread up, but like conscious coaching, like that book is all about how to get buy-in and, and buy-in with athletes, but buy-in with your patients is the same thing. Sure. Yeah. I've seen that book on Instagram, people loving it for a while and definitely need to make the leap and, and go check yeah. it out for sure. Uh, and on a serious note, what would you name your shoes when they come out? Oh man. Dang. That's a good question. <laughs> wow. The streets are waiting. I don't know, man. I, I what's the, what company is producing the shoe? That's a good, oh, that's a good, that's a, damn, that's a good Reebok. Right. That, that'd, be, that'd be a good CrossFit connection for okay. you. Uh, uh, I don't know, man, maybe like something movement related. I have to think about it. This is a good, this is a good, uh, this is a good question and I'm going to have a terrible answer. So, I'll get back to you on this one, but it's going to be something movement related. Awesome. Matei is just such a good last name that you can. It's a terrible fucking last name. (laughs) (laughs) If I put my name on the side of the shoe, everybody would mispronounce it. And oh, these are I got the new matters. (laughs) Yeah, I just man, I know, and I've told like, so you know, the your your family's like history and stuff is interesting sometimes, like with names and and for us, like you know we. My, my family's Italian and we were in uh, New York uh, at Christmas last year and, and we went to Ellis Island and you, you could see where people wow. sign in and, and they were talking a lot about like how if people just thought your name sounded like too, uh, too much like an immigrant, they would just change it. Yeah. And, and that's what happened to us. So like it, our name used to be D Mateo. So it was D E and then M A T T A E O. And, and uh, so they dropped the E O off the end and the D E off the front. But my, great grandparents or whoever it was just thought they were so stubborn uh-huh. that they wanted that a to be pronounced like it used to be that it's been going on for generations. And we're, nice. we're literally too stubborn to stop doing it. And we're the <laughs> only people that it doesn't make any sense. If, <laughs> it, the way I look at it, I'm like, who pronounces a name like this? But now I can't be the one to stop it. No, you got to keep the tradition going, yeah. man. No. Yeah. I'm I mean, it. you're talking about generations. Like I was, I will ruin it. So yeah, it is what it is, man. But yeah, if you named a shoe, it wouldn't be Mate. would be like, I got those Mattis. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound as good, man. No, it we'll, doesn't. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about little Michael Carleone. <laughs> or, or, yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Up and down. I guess, no, that was his father. I forget what his dad's name was. Or Vito or something. Don Carleone. I'm, I don't know. I'm getting it. Godfather just, Michael's, Michael's, the, Michael's the main the character. Yeah. yeah, the son. Yeah, yeah, I mean that man. I can't imagine, you know. And here we go. We we have some Gary Vaynerchuk, more immigrant references here of how hard it is to come to America, and really, uh, and really shine. Um, but have yeah, you guys I ever mean, been there by the way, like Ellis Island. No, no, no. Listen, man. Look, I've, I'm like that's a tourist trap. I don't want to go there. That's one of the most interesting American like buildings I've ever seen in my life. Like to think about the process of those people coming over on a boat, like not knowing a lick of fucking English and they're just here so they can help build infrastructure in the United States. Like that's, that's why they came and they had these really interesting tests. So this is where the, the term, uh, idiot and moron came from. So they had these little, uh, 
basically like wooden squares that they cut up into pieces and it was a little puzzle and you had to put them together in a certain amount of time. Everybody that came through had to put these puzzles together a certain amount of time. And if it took you more than a certain amount of time, you were considered like, I think it was an idiot. wasn't as bad as a moron. So an idiot was somebody that put it together kind of slowly, but they, they could still like take care of themselves, whatever. And, and be functional and probably like, you know, carry wood or something. And then if you couldn't do it in a certain amount of time, you're considered a moron. And they shipped you back to wherever you were from because they didn't want to have to take care of people. What? Yeah, dude. It's crazy. Even, even they had this questionnaire and I thought this was super interesting as a physio. So like on this questionnaire, one of the questions is, do you have a history of back pain? That's one of the questions. Oh, no. <laughs> and people, people didn't know. They didn't want to lie. So they didn't know if somebody knew about them or whatever. So they were super truthful on these. And if you had a history of back pain, you had to go get checked out by the physician. And he, he thought you were unfit to be a manual laborer back to your country. Ah, good God. So, and that, and that's where some of our negative uh, beliefs around pain stem from. <laughs> yeah. I was blown away. I'm serious, man. You guys, you guys should check it out. Anybody that's an American that had anybody, you know, like come through during that. I mean, especially if your family immigrated during that time, just, just so interesting and the building is just you know it's it's just crazy to think about the process that they went through yeah so you're a third generation yeah i guess right. so my grandmother was born in italy and my grandfather was so yeah so that would be third is that right third generation thanks so. she's first my dad's second i'm yeah third so did, did you like gary like gary v did you grow up with that immigrant mentality as well oh hell no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I grew up, my dad was in the military, man. We grew up on, oh, I grew up on army bases playing, playing freaking, uh, you know, war games in the woods, building forts and, you know, shooting fake That's guns. That's as American as you can get there. Dude, we had elaborate forts, bro. We would, we would, this is how elaborate we'd get. My brother and I, man, we would go out, we would like find a tree that had fallen down. We would like dig, you know, entrenchments around it. We even would take like an empty, uh, plastic gallon of milk we'd cut the top off of it and that would be our urinal we'd like yes. we would nail it yes. we, would, we would nail it to a tree and hold the top and the bottom and just to piss through it like yeah. it was a urinal. <laughs> take that millennials <laughs> <laughs> that's what we did and it was amazing it was awesome we had a great time man so like no i didn't grow up and you know have this you know i don't know uh immigrant mentality man i just yeah i grew up on military bases i didn't know different that's all and and who better to lead a tactical course than somebody like that? Just nailing milk, milk cartons of trees. <laughs> I've been peeing in milk cartons. I wonder how many people actually did that. Sometimes I, I, I bring them up to my brother and I was like, man, we were well ahead of our time, dude. It has to be less than 20. <laughs> we yeah. <had> <laughs> well, we just didn't want anybody, you know, you know, we would have like little forts we dig out. We don't want anybody taking a piss in there. And then you're, you know, yeah. that's just not sanitary. Come on, man. Nah, yeah. This is clearly our fort. Fuck off. Gotten well off the track of physical therapy but uh, this is the bullshit that people want danny <laughs> seriously <laughs> i think this hopefully yeah people are gonna be like man what a solid idea my son builds a fort i'm gonna cut a gallon uh, <laughs> Look, of milk uh, top i don't and he's got a urinal i don't want my son dragging his dirty feet back into the house i want him to piss right there <laughs> in the backyard oh no i don't care what those neighbors say <laughs> and i'm gonna blast my music while i work out <laughs> all right Eno enough callbacks <laughs> we need to go we'll, we'll we'll keep it we'll keep the listeners uh hungry no but, but honestly man you're, you're right dude like look okay if if you can get yourself <laughs> in a position where you can't play music loud and take a piss against the fence you're living the wrong place yeah yes. saying like and we're we're we're, <laughs> we're at man my my like i don't know i there's there's a we found ourselves at this this sort of like uh it wasn't community. It's like a resort up in North Georgia. It's uh, called Barnsley Resort. You guys can look this up. I was told this place is awesome. It was okay. And <laughs> Take is, that. But the thing is, like, okay, this place is it's like a golf community, and it's uh, or it's got a big golf course, and it it uh, you know it has like this huge resort. It's it's really pretty. Like they keep the grounds really really well uh, maintained. And um, but like my, my wife and I, like we in college, we worked our way through through school. Uh, as waiters uh, and she was a waitress and then I was a personal trainer at the same golf retirement community in Georgia and it wow. just reminded me of that place man and it reminded me of like like we're not we're not like rich by any means but we're definitely not 
poor like we used to be, like working our yeah. way through school. And we can afford to, you know, go on vacations with our kids and live in a nice house and like all the stuff that we've earned from busting our ass in our own business. But we're young. Dude, we're, I'm 33, she's 32. And, you know, for us to be around this sort of like country club environment with a bunch of people that, that are like, give me a weird look because I'm throwing my kid in the pool. Like, <laughs> like if anybody's listening to this, and this is sort of a tangent, but man, I, the people that I know that are like the most wealthy people that I have so much respect for are the people you would never know, never know. Like they're into the things that they like and, and the money that they make doesn't change that. Yeah. It just facilitates them to be able to do more of that or be nicer to other people and give more. And then I get around, you know, people that are obviously very, very wealthy, or maybe it's generational wealth, and they don't even know how to appreciate that. And that's a sad fucking thing to me, dude. Like, if you if you can't even appreciate where you've been, or where you are, because you never had to work to get there a day in your life, like, how are you going to be able to appreciate that what you've what you've gained, because it's just given to you. And it's not the same thing, you know? True, true. We just we just watched a couple of videos of that resort. And yeah, it, I yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah, it was I mean, I look like dude, it that like, place is pretty legit. Yeah, it looks it looks nice. It does not look bad. Somebody was getting brushed. Like <laughs> yeah, so, getting brushed. Yeah, it was a weird. Some weird massage things were going down. Oh, um, yeah. Has anybody seen the movie Get Out? No. Yes. Yeah, that, it I got that. Like that right? Yeah, it does. It does. No, <laughs> it does. You know what? How do you bring that up? It reminds me of that man. Like, oh that God! Remind me of that. You're right. I'm not going anywhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> No sunken places for us. No. Man. We have we have a wild dog over here. Yeah. That we're she's having just, a she's fight back. Just, yeah, we're just constantly battling with this dog. Okay. Yeah, are we going to the tactical thing or we you want to stay on this? We we can go every one, man. As we as we wrap up. We gotta we gotta hear about the how's the ta- how's the how's the tactical world going, Danny? How's that how how are things going over there? It's good, man. I mean, like I get an opportunity, you know, still to work with uh, military groups because of Mobility Watt, you know. So we we do we do closed uh, courses for for military. It's it's a fun thing for me to do. It's it's um it's a, a fraction of sort of my time at this point with with running the businesses that we have and it's just a cool sort of throwback for me to be able to go and uh, you know, go to these bases and work with these guys. And, and I will say like, there's some really cool uh, data that we should have coming out um, probably by the end of the year with a group that we work with out in uh, Schofield barracks, which is, <clears throat> it's, it's actually the group that I used to be um, assigned to. It's a 25th infantry division, second brigade. It's their cavalry cavalry. So they're all, you know, like, uh, you know, in vehicles and stuff. And, and, uh, but we went out, I, I got a chance to go out last, uh, September, I think, yeah, last September. And, um, I worked with this, uh, this one battalion, which is about 600 guys, um, for, Damn. Uh, for for a week, just primarily with their medics and the people that were leading physical training, and, and really the time with the medics was important. So these are sort of like lo- entry level medical providers, like as quick as you can produce them in a short period of time. Um, and and but some of them are real young, you know, eighteen years old. Some of them have been out for uh, for a while, and they're more senior medics. But these guys are there to like patch you up if you get shot. Right Here, yeah. here's the here's the problem with that. Here's the kicker: they're not doing that a whole lot. Like, I mean, that's a super important skill if that happens. But, but the thing is, they're dealing with more lower back pain than they are anything else or really? you know, ankle sprains. Yeah, it, because when you get hurt, so you have a medic, a certain amount of medics per uh, number of soldiers, a certain amount of those are going to be medics, right? So I think it's like one out of every 10 or, or one out of every 20, something to that effect. Um, but Regardless, there's a decent amount of them. And that's the first person that people are going to go to before they go to the hospital or they go to a clinic and they're going to ask them what they should do. So they just don't, they don't get a ton of musculoskeletal training. And for us to take them through basically the mobility wad 102, 101, 102, and then and add some variations of like population specific work with tactical athletes, the outcomes have been incredibly powerful. So there's also a really squared away physician's assistant that's attached to them. And he's sort of like a hybrid training conditioning guy too. And so he's been tracking all this data. So we got a chance to work with all our medics. We helped them put some protocols together for some common injuries that they're seeing. And what's been cool is they've been able to see about a 50% reduction in their injury rates. Nice. 
and started working with them. And this is over, the, over a group of 600 people and they've increased their deployability percentage, meaning soldiers that are able to deploy by 14%. So they added a, a ton of guys that improved their operational strength um, just by implementing a better kind of return to duty, return to training um, uh, kind of standpoint and implementing some of the uh, frontline musculoskeletal work that we kind of went over with them. And it, we'll see how these outcomes look in a year, but if that holds, I mean, you got a strong case that that should be taught to every single medic that comes through uh, the schoolhouse in San Antonio. And I, I honestly think that the cost savings associated with that, there's over a a million non-combat related, non-muscular or non-combat related musculoskeletal injuries in the department of defense, meaning army, Navy, all that uh, each year. So that's not, Oh, I was in a war environment and I got shot, right? This is, I hurt my back picking up a rucksack. Yeah. Now, a lot of those are avoidable, man. And the amount of money that we spend on treatment as well as disability and taking care of these guys long-term is astronomical. You know, and if we're talking to a 50% reduction in a group of 600 people, like, dude, the amount of cost savings is enormous if it was really to be implemented correctly at the educational level with these guys coming out. That is awesome. That is awesome, man. And yeah, I saw that Instagram post that you had a while back about that, that reduction on that. Uh, yeah. And I just saw the raw numbers and yeah, I, I like eventually once we get all of them in, we'll share them and people can, you know, take, take a look at it. But, um, and I mean, it's being tracked centrally to like the government tracks a lot of their injuries, but it's pretty interesting to see like the, they've been tracking it for a very long time. And like the six months before you can see like the numbers are pretty steady. People that are on profiles and injured and people that um, are non-deployable. And then all of a sudden you start see this like downward trend over the course of about like three, four months. And then it sort of tapers off to where they're at now. Um, and, and some of that can be dependent on training cycle time. Like how much time are they spending in the field training? How much time are they, um, at home where they're not training and it's a little more relaxed and less injuries happen then. So we'll see over the course of a year, but I mean, it could be a big, it could be a big deal. Um, you know, depending on how well the government's a, a difficult thing, right? So like, yeah, it's, they say it's a big, ship it turns really slowly so you could have something exciting and you're like dude we can save you a bunch of money just listen the fuck up and i'll tell you what you're supposed to do and they'll still say like well we're not ready for that you know it's like great our tax dollars are just getting wasted damn that's damn and it's that's it sounds the same you know same problems as in civilian with civilian back pain and, and all the chronic health issues that we have it sounds like the exact same problems oh totally and and this is one of the reasons why whenever you know when we got out uh and open our practice. I was, I was following the traditional, like, you know, see, see them for however many visits and then discharge as soon as I feel like they're ready to take care of themselves and and finish your home exercise plan or whatever. And what I noticed was people just kept coming back. You know, they come, they just like self book the next month. I'm like, what's up, dude, why are you back? You know? And they're like, well, you know, I'm kind of working towards this and, you know, and they, they were like, honestly trying to be proactive without any, without any me trying to get them to do it. And at this point now for us, like it's really cool to have these sort of uh, these recurring patients for a couple of reasons. Number one, they really value it and they look forward to it and they like the accountability associated with it. Most people just don't have any of that. Um, And they don't have anybody that's sort of, you know, quarterbacking their health and wellness. And for us, we like it because we get really, really good long-term results. Uh, We catch a lot of problems before there are significant problems. And it's a really steady stream of revenue in our practice because it's recurring. It's every month. We don't have to go find however many people that are, you know, coming to see us every month. And in, in my opinion, with business, if you don't have a strong recurring revenue stream of some kind, man, you are missing out. Like your, your business is going to suffer because of that. Yeah. Which has been, I mean, this is a, uh, my, one of my favorite quotes from Gene Schrock about of saying that PT historically has been a shit business model because you right. just work with people and then they leave and you just, it's a terrible business model. your clientele just leaves right out the door. So yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really excited to see, it's been real exciting to see how PT has grown in these past couple of years, thanks to the online and online space. And then just people having their, everything from industrial health and wellness to everything that you're doing with cash base and then having wellness programs incorporated into their clinics. So, Oh, so much stuff, man. I mean, the shit, the digital stuff is a, 
is uh, yeah. is a whole it's a whole another ball game. I mean, that's a that's a huge opportunity for really you know anybody that has a has a niche uh, knowledge base, and then for the the cash stuff. I mean, you can do this. It doesn't have to be a cash practice. Like the like the idea of having recurring revenue. Anybody out there that's listening to this that's you know interested in in business of any kind. There's a book called The Automatic Customer. It's John Warlow is his name. You know, read that book. It's super short. You listen to it, whatever, on Audible. And um, that book will change the way that you you think about business, if, especially if you're in business. And this is something like in our mastermind group, we, we, we spend a lot of time trying to help establish, you know, ongoing solid systems in a business. And I think there's a few that you really need to have. One being you need to have a... Uh, a proven way of getting people in the door. So you have to have like good marketing systems. You have to have a proven system of actually having uh, a repeatable sales process to get those people to buy in on the plan of care that you want uh, them to complete. So they get the outcome that they want. And then you have to have a proven continuity program that people are actually interested in that that doesn't necessarily mean they're coming in every month, but maybe they come in twice a year to come and see you for some sort of, you know, musculoskeletal checkup or something. That's still a continuity, uh, uh, program. They're, they're not gone forever because those people, most of them aren't, aren't going to do the right things for themselves. They're just going to yeah. go off and just do random shit that everybody does. So you're, you're really helping them more long-term. If you have an option for them, you don't just hold on to people to hold on to them. You have to provide value long-term, but if you can set it up in the right manner where they see value it, they say, yeah, it's worth it. I'm going to give you my money and I want to see you this many times or whatever. And you fulfill on that. Like that's an agreement that could really dramatically change your business. Shit. Yeah. I think, and I think, you hit the nail on the head when you said accountability. I think that's the magic word that, that PT has been avoiding for a long time of like there, you should have people you, like you should essentially be running a gym where people can just come and to your place of well, of health and wellness, right? It doesn't have to be a healthcare clinic where the, the idea is to get people in and out or out as quickly as possible. Like there, I think there should be a blend of strength coach and physio, right? There, it should back to uh, TD's point of like, it should all be one essentially. And that seems like where it's going. Yeah. I mean, if that's what you're interested in, right. I mean, there's yeah. so many, any uh, other people, I had somebody reached out to me and they want to do home health for like kids under three. And they're like, Hey, is your gym PT blueprint a good fit for this? And I run back, I said, fuck, no, it's not. Yeah. I guess for people that want to have a practice in a, in a gym, like I was just totally honest, like don't waste your money. Like if you, don't buy this. Cause I don't have to refund you yeah. and like, you'll be better off. And then I sent him to go look at somebody else's stuff that I thought would be a better fit because you know, what they're talking about is just not my, you know, kind of like niche, my specific area that I, I can actually help people with. And, you know, but for the people that are interested in strength and conditioning and in movement and, um, have a background in things that are maybe athletic and they still want to be around people that are, fairly athletic. Like it is a great way to go. And you're right. You could do a number of different things, man. I mean, I know, uh, practitioners that own gyms and they have, they have a gym and they do, whether it be one-on-one -on -one or group classes or whatever. And then they have a clinic attached to that. You know, I know people that, uh, don't have that, but they have some sort of online, uh, programming option. And then they see people, you know, face to face. I know people that don't do any face to face work anymore. And all they do is online based work. That's crazy. Um, I mean, there's just so many options. Yeah. And you, the thing is like, you just got to figure out not, th this is the mistake that most people make. And I, I think it's very easy when you're, when you're young and you're coming out of school and you make no money. So you're like, dude, I just want to make a fucking shitload of money. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from somebody that has a couple successful businesses, like another zero in my bank account doesn't do a fucking thing for me. Nothing. It doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I had this conversation with somebody the other day. Like I remember I had this goal. I just wanted to see $100,000 in a bank, a business bank account, any bank account. I just want to see that number. Like for whatever reason, I was a goal of mine and I was like obsessed with this. And then when it happened, I had like five seconds of like joy where I was like, yeah, I did it. And then it was sort of like nothing. I got nothing <laughs> out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that, that's really not even like, and that's a lot of money if you have no money, but in the grand scheme of things, that's not, a, that's not a lot of money. And you know, but it was such an arbitrary, stupid goal, you know, yeah. instead of, you know, how many people am I helping? You know, how many people are, am I employing? Like I, I look at it now, like two of our employees uh, of, of our, of our PTs and say, I should say not, you know, they're much more than that than just employees to us. But like, like they, they just recently bought houses here in Atlanta. Like that's the most, like honestly proud 
moment that I've had as a business owner is when they closed on, on, they both, you know, became homeowners because I know it was a goal for them and we helped sort of facilitate it in a way by, you know, employing them, but also getting them linked up with our realtor and our mortgage broker and helping them, you know, find the right place. And, and they feel very proud because they have a place of their own, but it's, it's because we built this thing that now they can be a part of and they can have a, a life for their family and they can make good money. And like, dude, there's so much more that comes from that than however much money you get in a bank account. Like that means nothing. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think you can even like relate it to like, if you, for me, if I look deep enough, I could see that kind of thing anywhere. Like, Oh, it, I'm going to be so happy once I get out of school. And yeah. then I don't know how Jared felt, but you know, we just finished our last test. And I was like, yeah, but, and then it's, and then it's gone. You know, I imagine passing the boards is very similar. You have that day of, Oh, great. And then you're like, no, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think it's a trap, man. Like I get, I get stuck in this sometimes too. Like I was, I was talking to my wife about this the other day because you know, I get people are, they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, man. I love the podcast. But you got to understand, like, I am not an easy person to live with. My wife is a, <laughs> is a fucking saint. Because <laughs> Imagine having to be with me all day, every day. It's a lot of bullshit. Dude, being married to me for 11 years is not easy because I just, I will get hyper-focused on something and it's a both a pro and a con. Like I'll, I'll just, I won't stop until I complete whatever it is that I'm trying to complete at the, at the detriment of relationships around me and people around me. And mm. it, it's just, it's, it's something that I have to really work hard on, uh, on controlling. And it's because we're very future biased. Like people that press really hard like that, we're very, very future biased. We're always like thinking of these big things that we can accomplish. And and that's cool. Like we need that. We, otherwise we would just be complacent and, and just do nothing. But to also take a step back and say like, man, like look at what we've been able to do. We've been able to hire these people. We've been able to, you know, successfully start two different businesses that are growing. I've got two awesome kids that are super healthy. that are just really fun to be around. And they're like, I have a good relationship with my wife and like our family's healthy and there's you know there's a lot of positive things and if you're so future biased you're so constantly thinking about like what you have to move towards what you have to move towards and you never take the time to take a step back and think holy shit like look what i've done like look 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 what i've been able to do other people around you see that but like you probably don't and that test or whatever it is like you're like okay cool now what now what Dude, take a step back and think about all the awesome shit that you've been able to do because if you don't you're gonna squander relationships around you. you're you not going to be appreciative of the things you've actually been able to do yeah that's true that's what a what a great lesson for us all right now at this at this stage listeners i hope i hope you take a, a second we'll, we'll we'll cut out some space right now some silence where you can think about just be gra- uh, grateful where you are at this point that's beautiful man also go cop the matas go cop the mata shoes when they, when they drop that's right the mata volume ones <laughs> i can't believe gary v has a shoe how crazy is that man that's not awesome that's yeah you're you're your own media company right right you can do from there. You can do whatever the fuck you want. So that's that's why I cannot wait to go get those matas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other questions, man? Dude, Nothing. Doc Danny Matei, thank you so much again for blessing us with your presence and dropping wisdom. See, we got we had bullshit. We had just honest, uh, heartfelt moments. We had knowledge filled wisdom moments. We we covered all the bases here, man. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate you guys having me back on and, you know, it's, it's just, it's just cool to be able to, um, you know, to, to, to chat with other folks that are, that are doing podcasts in our profession. And, uh, I mean, you guys have been doing a really good job too. Just, just like, you know, you know, just to shout you guys out a little bit, like it's cool to see uh, the growth that you've had, you know, as students now, you know, getting out of school and with your podcast, I think you guys have been doing a really good job. It's just one of those things that, uh, sort of rare to see, students actually like stick to something like that and then progress and it get better. And, you know, I'm sure you guys get feedback as well. So hopefully, you know, you, you listen to that and, 
And, uh, and you keep, you keep working because you guys got something that I think is, is helping people and people like it. And, uh, keep that in mind, man, because that's something that could be fun thing for you to do, but also potentially, um, part of what you do for a living long-term. Yeah, for sure. And, and just like what you said, it's, it's kind of taking that moment to reflect and be grateful and also do it. Your, your why, like I, I was going to ask you a question about why, but we didn't even need to ask it because we already got into it. If you know, you're not doing this to see a certain number, whether that's downloads or, or salary or salary or finances, it's, it's when you get that feedback from somebody, it's like, man, I hated fucking PT school until I was listening to your dumb podcast. You're like, Oh, okay. Hell yeah. So man. Yeah. You know, man, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of that out there and it's cool to get that feedback from people. Cause a lot of times podcasting is like, it's just one, one, uh, you know, direction you're talking to people. Yeah. They don't get a chance to chime in and, you know, respond or, or, or whatever it might be. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's cool to, to get that feedback, but I mean, I'm definitely, it's, it's cool to see progression, right? Like for, sure. like for instance, how many months have you guys been doing this? Oh, uh, this is like coming 16 up on two years. Or yeah. 18, 20. Okay. So go back and look at like month one, month two of the downloads you had, and then look at like the amount of downloads you have this month. And yeah. like, that's shocking in some cases, right? Like it's ridiculous. Or look at, look at the, the map of where people are listening to this. Yeah, I'm like so blown away <laughs> when I look. I'm like, who the hell is listening to my shit in Iraq? Like, yes, what, yes. What is going on? Like, how's there a download of PT Entrepreneur Podcast? You know, like it's probably some military PT. I think about it, but like, like <laughs> stuff like that. It, that's wild to me. And just to, yeah, just be aware of, of of that impact is is uh is crazy. But it is tough sometimes not to get that feedback. So you guys are doing a good job, man. So you know, congratulations to you guys. Thanks, man. It means a lot, man. Just trying to trying to be like you, Danny. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate that. I'm sure there's probably better people to model after. Just we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah, man. And uh and real quick, you got anything you want to plug? Any where people can reach you, contact you, get those new shoes, yada yada. No. <laughs> yeah, you can sign up for the for the uh shoe wait list. Um, yeah, I'm on it. I'm the first back. one on it. Uh no, man, I mean look, if you guys if you if anybody's listening to this and they're interested in um you know, anything that has to do with uh, entrepreneurship, doing something for yourself, you know, business related, uh, information like the podcast that I have, the PT entrepreneur podcast may be a good fit for you. you can listen to it, check it out. Um, you know, and if you want to learn a little about me, a little bit more about me, you can go to drdannymatte.com. So D-R-D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-T-T-A.com. And, uh, all our podcasts are there as well. Uh, but, uh, the, the about me, I'm really proud of my about me page and I'm not going to ruin it. Okay. I think people will, uh, enjoy the story. Let's go. Yeah, go check it out. Let's just definitely go listen to the PT Entrepreneur Podcast. Definitely my favorite podcast right now. Doc Danny, thank you so much, my man. You got it, guys. Thanks so much. You have a great week. You too.